right. Hey, <clears throat> good morning, Calvary. Uh, happy Sunday. Whoa, that was robust. I'm not, I'm not used to that from the first service. Don't tell them. No, no, no. Hey, it's great to see you guys. Uh, and if you're visiting your first time, my name's Peter. Uh, I'm one of the guys on staff. And uh, we would love just to help answer questions or, or if we could do anything while you're here today with us. So you can grab me after the service. I'll be around. Or um, <clears throat> Joey, who's leading worship, or any of the folks who have an official little name tag thing you saw this morning, and we're just glad you're here. No matter where you are spiritually, thanks for carving out the time uh, to be here with us. So this past Thursday, there were a bunch of you who were here with us because we had the first ever in the history of Calvary Church, our first ever family dinner. So it was great, right? Uh, maybe not everybody had a chance to come or whatever things, but for those who were able to come, uh, just so grateful, right? I mean, this room was packed out. We had ZD. We had meatballs flying through the air. We had cannolis from Del Pretz. I mean, that's, I do think the kingdom of God has come when you have a cannoli from Del Pretz. Uh, but probably... Most importantly, it was just a chance to be together. COVID has wrecked so much in our world, and to be able to be as a body together again and see folks we haven't seen for a while was a true joy in the course of that evening. We had just some great conversations, sharing some things that we as leadership saw and listening to some questions and thoughts you guys had. And so we were just really, really grateful for that time together. One of the things we shared is that we're uh, working hard on how we can communicate with you guys and know that we need to do a better job of that because none of the emails are getting through. Went during COVID, we pulled hard copy of bulletins. And so we're, we're working on that. And one of the things I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about, but that I would have mentioned if we'd kind of been able to spend some time looking forward at that thing is we have an app that our tech team, Dave Katz, has been working on uh, to help in communication. It'll allow you to kind of get some push notifications about events. Um, you can watch the services streaming, but also what I'm really excited about is it'll give you a chance in real time to, if you're a digital person, uh, you can use the app to take notes digitally on Sunday mornings um, with where we are and we'll have fill in the blanks and all that stuff. So we will roll out to you more information about that <clears throat> in the coming days, but you didn't come here today to hear like about the Apple Store process. Get on your iPhone. Use your finger, right? So we'll tell you all about that, but we're excited about that. And then lastly, before we jump into God's Word, uh, it is crazy, but Halloween is next week, <clears throat> which is bizarre. And one of the things we want to do as a church, as a body of believers, there's this awesome verse about being a sweet aroma of Jesus to people around you. And one of the things for 100 plus years we've strived to do is be that uh, aroma and uh, really love our neighbors well. And so for a decade or so, on Halloween, we just open up our campus to families that may be looking for a place to trick-or-treat, and we have tons of things decorated, we have candy, and it really is just to, again, be an aroma of Jesus and show folks who aren't necessarily part of our church or even know Jesus that, man, Christians actually can be kind, loving people. There's a lot of, that's not always the reputation of Christians today in our culture, and so it is an amazing opportunity for us as a body to really love our community well. And so <clears throat> to do that, ain't no child wants to come in their little uh, Barney outfit and uh, get like a carrot stick at Calvary Church, okay? And so when, what we need is if you're a dentist in the place, we're going to help your kids get through college because we need lots of sugary candy delight. And you can help 
partner with us by either bringing that in, and we'll give you more information about that through emails and stuff this week. Um, or there's a way we, you know, people can give, uh, steward their money online uh, and pay, you know, their offerings and stuff. And there's also a link if you want to help donate some funds for us to buy candy. We can probably get, we can get a better rate than you can. So we're just excited because we get to open up our community and we get to meet people who don't have a church home and we get to just be kind um, and show the kindness of Jesus. So I wanted to make you aware of that opportunity. And today we get to do what we do most every Sunday. We get to open up God's word and see what he has for us. And so before we do that, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. Uh, Father, thank you for the opportunity we have once again this morning um, just to open up your word and uh, come before it and allow it to speak to us. And I know that for all of us in this room, you have a purpose for this and you don't waste the hearing of your word and the explaining of your word. And so whatever you want to teach me, Father, I pray that I will be receptive to the Spirit to hear. And really, Holy Spirit, whatever you have for all of us, uh, will the Spirit work in our hearts so that we might be open and listening to your word. We want to honor Jesus in this time, and it is in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, if you're visiting, we're... uh, in a sermon series on the book of James. And what we do here at Calvary Church, if you've not been around, we open up a book of the Bible and we go through it. Man, regularly, paragraph through paragraph, verse by verse, we've been doing that in the book of James. Anytime you open up God's word, there's always power, right? Every single verse in the Bible, uh, every single passage in the Bible, there is something that God can do through that in our lives to teach us and to grow us and to help us. And In line with that, I think just because where we are in our world today, I think the text that we have before us today could be particularly helpful, could be particularly relevant, could be particularly meaningful today because of the context in which you may find yourself in your life and and we together find ourselves in our culture. And here's why. Because all around us in our culture, there are so many different things that if you opened up your Twitter feed today, There'd be all sorts of cultural issues, social issues, political issues, and we're confronted with having to make an opinion about those. When there's an issue in our culture, when there's an issue in our news, when there's an issue in society, when there's an issue in politics, right, what you and I have to do is try to form some opinion about that. What should I think about this? What do I think about this? And, and maybe sometimes when we form that opinion, we have a viewpoint but it's very different than the viewpoint of people around us. And then the question becomes, okay, what do I do in that moment, right? How do I navigate that? Maybe this morning what you're sitting here thinking is, you know what, Peter, I'm, I'm not really worried about what's going on in the culture around me because maybe you have something going on in your own life. And that's really what's consuming your time and your thought and you're trying to figure out, well, what do I do <clears throat> with this? Maybe there's this decision that you have in your life. You're at a crossroads, and you've got to make a decision. You're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? How do I think about this? Maybe there's an issue at work that you're processing through. Maybe there's something in your family. Every single one of our families is different. Right? Different dynamics, different relationships, different way that family looks. But maybe this morning you're not worried about something in your culture. You're worried about something going on in your dining room and around your kitchen table with family members. And you're trying to process, what do we do with that? Maybe it's an issue in your marriage and you're confronted with things in your marriage, and you're trying to figure out, what what do I do? What do I think about this? How am I supposed to act on this? Maybe it's an issue dealing with sexuality, 
and you're just trying to process something, right, with, with, with someone in your family in that issue, <clears throat> or you yourself in that issue, every day we're confronted with all sorts of things that we need to know. What do I think about this? And what do I do in this moment? And we're confronted with things in our culture, but we're also confronted with things just personally. And, and here's the reality. Before we even know what we should think about those things, we need to understand how to think about those things. Before we can know what we're supposed to think, we need to kind of even understand, okay, how do I think about this? How do I approach this? And if you and I this morning are willing to just kind of let God speak through his word, when you face that moment or if you're facing that moment today, I think today's text can be really helpful to us. It can be helpful to us to know not simply what to think, but even how do we approach how to think. And so the text we're going to be in today is James chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. James chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. If you've got your device, if you've got a Bible, open it up. <clears throat> I'm going to read it. We'll walk through it. If you don't have any of those things, there's a Bibles out back you can grab on your way out. And here is what um, James said. Remember, what we're reading is this letter that Jesus' brother wrote about 40 years after Jesus ascended back into heaven. There were Christians who were facing all sorts of things, and so Jesus' brother wrote this letter to Jewish Christians who, man, in many ways, what he was trying to say is, look, you guys know what you're supposed to do. I want you to do those things. And there's all these different topics that he addresses. The past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what he tells them about trials, and he's going to change the conversation now to another topic. And here's what he says, verses 18 through 25. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But <clears throat> be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer her acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, a lot of verses there, right? Uh, seven verses to be exact. And before we can kind of understand what these verses are telling us, we need to understand the structure of the verses. When we come to any book of the Bible or any passage, we always want to understand structurally, how is this thing set up? So there are three different options that writers and theologians and commentators take of the structure of these verses. So I'm going to tell you the three options, just in case you hear another sermon or read books on this. I, I want to make sure you know there's a few different approaches. Here is option numero one, right? Option one is this, that verses 18 and 19, and if you got a Bible or your device, it's probably helpful to look at it. This conversation about <clears throat> bringing us forth by the word and be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's one view that says those verses about being slow to speak, you know, slow to anger, uh, quick to hear, refer to how you should still be acting in trials. That James is still, that those are the instructions when you're in a trial, that's what you should do. And then verses 21 through 25 deal with God's word. So 18 and 19 kind of stuck up dealing with trials. 21 through 25 deals with God's word. Then there is option number two. And option number two is like an Oreo cookie. Ah, I love me an Oreo cookie. I even love more a double stuff. 
Oreo cookie. If they made a quintuple stuff Oreo cookie, I could not get enough of it. All right, here is the Oreo cookie version structurally of option two. That verse 18 is talking about God's word, right? God's word. Then verses 19 through 20, this idea again of being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, is just like this interjected middle layer of the Oreo that has nothing to do with God's word, but is giving interpersonal relationship advice. And then the last verses, 21 through 25, kind of come back and speak to God's word. That is option two. Then there's option three. That is the option that we're going to kind of walk through because a ton of commentators think this, and I think it's um, a good reason for it. Option three is that all the verses I just read, each one of those is only talking about one main topic, and it's all dealing with God's word, okay? Uh, Structurally, the fact that it is kind of bookended, it starts talking about God's word, it ends talking about God's word, usually structurally in the New Testament, that means all the stuff in the middle is contained within those brackets to talk about the same stuff. There is this amazing conjunction that we'll talk about. I know, you guys are so excited. You're like, I am glad I woke up early. And in just like two minutes, I'm going to hear about a conjunction. Uh, An amazing conjunction that kind of sees that. And so we're going to kind of lean into... Um, <clears throat> verse, you know, that, that third option about that structural unit. And so then the question becomes, okay, if this is all talking about God's word, going with that, what is it that James says we need to know about how we make decisions? When we're confronted with those choices, when we're confronted about what we think about whatever issues floating around out there or whatever issues floating around in here, what, what guidance does James tell us about how we navigate what we think about things and how we think about things and how we do things. Well, let's kind of get into that verse 18. He starts by talking about God's word. We already read it, and he says this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, right? So he's talking about God's word, and then in verse 19, he moves into this other context where he says this, know this, my beloved brothers. Now, in the literal Greek, it has this conjunction, and he says, but... My beloved brothers, right? So, so here's what he's doing structurally. That conjunction, that but, is kind of this, this conjunction that's bringing these thoughts together. James said, hey, God spoke things. God did some things with his word. And then he's but, he's saying, now let me kind of pull that idea and tell you how you're to respond to God's word. What that has to do with you and the relevance to you. And, and this is what he says, right? Know this, my beloved brothers. When you think about God's word in response to God's word, let every person be quick to hear. Let every person be quick to hear. This idea of being quick to hear has the idea of, man, I, I want to prioritize my understanding of God's word. I just want to prioritize knowing God's word and understanding it, but it also has this other idea that what James is saying is, hey, when you're going through things in life, when you need to know what to think about something in your life, you need to come quickly to hear what God's word has to say about it. In challenging moments that we face in our world and that we face in our lives, we don't need less of God's word. We need more of God's word. Have you ever run a marathon? <clears throat> Anybody here? Marathoners? Mm. Oh, two people. I admire you. I have heard stories about what happens to people's bodies in a marathon, and I say to myself, no thank you. <laughs> Check please, right? But 
I have run a 5K. Now, I'd run a 5K, and I treated that 5K like a marathon. I mean, I was into it, right? I, I ran the little jingle bell run a few times. <laughs> it's always humbling when I am running as fast as I can, and literally, some of your children run past me. <clears throat> but I'm confident I run the jingle bell run, and man, if you've ever run a marathon or a 5K or treat a 5K like a marathon, you know that the nights before the marathon, right, that, that's not the time to like go on a juice cleanse, right? There's no marathoner who the evening before the marathon says to themselves, man, you know what, I just need me a little something light. I need a nice kale smoothie, and that's just some water and kale smoothie. That's not what marathoners do, because marathoners know they're about to get it. They're about to have some hard stuff coming up. So you know what they do? Carbo load. Yeah, right? Marathon. It's the night before. They're eating pasta. They're eating all sorts of carbs and stuff because they're about to encounter something hard, and they don't need kale. They need some food that's going to give them the sustenance and the strength to get through it. What James is saying to you and what James is saying to me is, look, when we face those decisions about what we think about a cultural issue, political issue, social issue, personal issue, and those are hard, we don't need less of this. We need more of this. We need this sustenance to help us figure out how to get through it. And we need to quickly come to it to try to decide what it says. Here's the approach <clears throat> that James gives. If James had like an appendix with flowcharts to this, exhibit A, this is what James is telling us to do, right? So this little dealio, you and I are confronted with an issue. You pick the issue. We're confronted with it. What do we do about it? What do we think about it? And then James is going to tell us where to go in a minute. But what's interesting is by implication where he doesn't tell us to go. He doesn't tell us to go places that so many times I would normally go or you normally go. When we're confronted with something, what James does not tell us to do is the first question is not, well, what do I want to do? The first question that James is going to set out is not the question of, well, what do I want to do? What would make me happy? What would make me feel good? The first question, according to James, is not, well, what does my favorite blog say about it? It's not, what does my favorite pastor say about it? Now, let me just say this. <clears throat> blogs are helpful. Christian blogs are helpful. Pastors are reasonably helpful, right? But, but here's the deal. Everything that any pastor says, including me and any pastor staff, you this is the authority. The authority is not, well, in yesterday's sermon, Peter said, or whoever said. The authority is not, I just read a blog from my favorite Christian whatever that said this. If those and as those line up with this, man, that's a great help. But this is what James is going to tell us is the guiding authority. We look at all those things through this lens. When we're facing a decision, the first place to go is not what you think, according to James. The first place to go is not as my favorite blog think. What does my favorite pastor say? The first place to go when you're confronted with a decision about what you think about politics or culture or issues or decisions in your life or sexuality or take the blog or, or take the job or don't take the blog, the first place to go to process that is not all of the Facebook groups that you're part of. Seriously. 
they're helpful, if they're aligned with this, this is, that's a good thing. The first place to go, you know, we all often just life naturally gravitate towards people who think the same way about the, we do as things. Many times we all naturally gravitate towards people who see the world the same way we do. The first place to go, the ultimate place to go when you're trying to decide an issue is not to the people who see the world exactly the same way you do your tribe. Again, the first place James is going to say is you be quick to hear the word of God. This is where you and I go first. And this, after we go here, all those other places are decent places to go to. But they got to line up with this. We don't, what we sometimes do is we run there first, and we use that to shape our opinion. And then you know what we do? We, we, we randomly pick little pieces out of here to justify that, right? Like, okay, I'm going to get this. Ooh, let me get me a little strawberry from this. Let me get me a little apple from that. This Bible, and now I'm going to create this, this Tetris structure to support what I wanted to say. Eh. James says, when you're confronted with an issue, the first place that you go to is God's word. And you ask this question, does God's word directly, does God's word speak directly to the issue? Does God's word speak directly to the issue? Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, man, okay, that makes sense, but bro, like, I've been a Christian a week. I, others of you are thinking, I've been a Christian for more than a week, but this book is confusing. Like, there's all this stuff in the book, in the book of Revelation, and if I'm trying to decide, like, should I take the job, marry the person, I go to Revelation, they're talking about dragons and trumpets and blood and monsters, like, well, ah! All right, so here's the deal. If you are trying to figure out where God's word might speak to an issue, you know what? Email me. Email me. And I will tell you some passages if they're there directly. And then you can have those as a resource to be the first place that you go to try to process through it. When you're confronted with an issue, the question is, does God's word speak directly to the issue? And here we go, flow chart. This is going to be amazing. Ready? If yes, then guess what? You got your answer. Look at that. So easy, right? Does God's word speak directly to it? If yes, you have the answer. I heard a pastor recently uh, talking about a new approach he's taken when he counsels people. People come into his office, they're like, Pastor, I'm going through this thing. And the first question he'll ask them is this Do you know what God's word says about it? Yeah, I do. Okay. Second question, this is what he says. The next question he asks them is, Are you doing it? And if they say no, he says, hey, I think our time is over. <laughs> the first two is drive-by counseling, right? And, and then they'll say to them, well, if you know what God's word says about it, why are you here asking me? And he then says, people tell him this, well, I just want to know if you had a different perspective on it, pastor. He's like, no, I ain't got no other perspective. I don't have anything to add or to change what God has said, right? If you have it, you have the answer. Yahtzee. Uno, Dutch Blitz, game over, okay? Now, you, I may not like the answer. And many times, we have the answer, but we don't like it. Because, man, many times we want what we want, and following God will not make our life easier. 
you, you can jump online and read a bunch of books. It will make our life better. It will life, make our life more meaningful. But when you follow God and you do what he tells you to do, that is not always easy. It is not always easy because there's a verse in the Bible that says, you take up your cross and you follow me daily. Because it talks about how we're willing to give up our agenda for the good of God's agenda. It is not easier because it tells us in the Bible when we disagree with people or when we're in conflict, how we should respond to that. And a lot of times, you know how we respond to conflict with gentleness, with graciousness. Do you know what I wish was in the Bible? I wish what was in the Bible was the verse that said, when you get a nasty email, you send a nastier one back. Yes! That would be my life verse, right? If thou shalt receive a mean email, you shall send a really mean one back. I can cross that, stitch that on my bathroom wall and be good, right? But that's not in there. We may not like the answer, but if you have the answer, you have the answer, Yahtzee. Now, if God's word does not directly speak to the issue, right? If God's word, oh, you guys are in trouble because they didn't start the sermon timer. Oh, I feel bad for you. It's okay. We'll be out of here by breakfast tomorrow, I promise, okay? Well, okay. <clears throat> if it doesn't speak directly, then there's a question. Does God's word have the principles, you know, does God's word have principles that might apply to the situation? Not a, and we're going to work through a little real-life demonstration. If it doesn't directly speak to it, are there principles that apply to it, okay? Now, does God's word, second question, if it doesn't speak, does God's word tell us how to treat others in the situation even if God's word does not address a particular situation, right? So if we don't have a direct answer, the next question is, well, are there principles that can help me guide this? Now, we gotta be very careful when we're, when we're trying to figure out again, whatever the issue is, politically, culturally, socially, our own lives, our own decisions, our own moments of crossroads for us, we got every, not every, most cults have a Bible verse. So we gotta be really careful at this place not getting weird, okay? We don't take things out of context, but we honestly try to assess other broader principles that applies. So let's work through this in real life. <clears throat> Most weeks, and this was no exception, by Wednesday at like 6.30, my sermon's in the books. I used to like the West Wing. Anybody watch the West Wing? I used to like the West Wing, and uh, the press secretaries always used to say, that's a full lid. I don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool. I think it means like we have nothing else to talk about, right? So Wednesdays, when I'm done, it's a full lid. My sermon is kind of locked and loaded. I say that because by Wednesday, I came up with a little illustration to walk through this. I came up with an illustration that we've never talked about at Calvary Church, right? Bef on Wednesday, remember what day I did it? What day did I do it? Yes, you're the best listeners ever. And I chose one because I'm like, let me think about something that we as a church have never talked about. So I did. On Thursday night at the dinner, when we were listening to you guys share and your perspectives, interestingly, somebody brought this up. Great, great comment. But I just tell you that to say, I'm not walking through this illustration in response to it. I'm simply not smart enough to come up with another neutral uh, thing. So he here's the question, right? Let's pretend we're trying to decide the issue of should a church have a food pantry? Should a church have a food pantry? Well, the question is first, right, does God's word speak directly to the issue? If you can find me a Bible verse that says, 
your church must have a food pantry, a free cup of coffee every Sunday for the rest of your life. Okay? Until you see Jesus, you can get a free cup of coffee. There is no Bible verse that says in Leviticus, whatever, you must have a food pantry. But there are principles. And we're going to talk about these in a few weeks. There are principles throughout the Bible that talk about you got to care for the poor. When people have needs, you as a body of believers have to be concerned with your needs, but also about the needs of the people around you. There are principles that might apply to that because, yeah, the, the command to care for the poor is something out there. That is something that we should do. And so a food pantry could be a good way to do that. If the church then decides to have a food pantry, and if you think that is the worst idea ever, right? Oh, I can't believe they had a food pantry. Why'd they have a food pantry? If they really loved Jesus, what they would have done instead is they would have had like hot air balloons fly over places and drop food out to people in different neighborhoods. But that's what you should have done. They're silly. And they decided to have a food pantry. They don't know what they're doing. It doesn't make sense. I don't even think they're Christians. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> if that's your response, well, then what you got to do is you got to say, hold on, time, time, time out, time out, time out. Doesn't tell me whether a church must have a food pantry. But there are principles that say we got to take care of the poor. There was a decision made. Some people are very excited about this food pantry. I may not be excited about the food pantry, but God's word then tells me how I talk to my brothers and sisters, even when I don't agree with them. This is the flow chart that whatever situation you're processing through, here's the grid that we use. But, but James doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there because what James knows is there's some tendencies that you and I have and that his readers have that sometimes make it challenging for us to hear God's word. Right? His command was quick to hear, prioritize God's word, and you quickly come to hear God's word when you're facing something. But he knows that there's, there's this natural like jack-in-the-box that makes it pops up to make us not want to do that. And so he starts to unpack some of those, and he tells us the first one in verse 9. Right, Quick to hear, and then here's the first thing that he knows sometimes make it difficult for us, but be slow to speak. Right, you be quick to hear, but you got to know what he's telling them and telling us is, look, but you, you need to guard yourself, and you need to be slow to speak. We cannot listen carefully to God's word if we've already started rebutting God's word before we even get through it. <clears throat> if you have kids, if you know anybody who has kids, either in the past or one day, you've experienced this. I, I've experienced this. I, you know, it's whatever night of the week, pick a night, and your kids all come up in mass. They always do this. They always band together against you, little minions, right? And they come up, and they're like, Dad, hey, Dad, we have a great idea. Whenever they say we have a great idea, you got to find your wife, and you got to band together and be like, I got your six, okay? They come up to you, and they're like, hey, can we go to Dairy Queen? Can we go get milkshakes? We work so hard, Dad. We know you love us. Can we go to milkshake? And, I, and I'm thinking to myself in my brain, haven't said a word yet. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let them go. We're going to go get some milkshakes, right? I don't tell them that. <clears throat> what I start with them is like, man, well, you know what, guys? It's a little late. 
We got school tonight, you know, the next day. I mean, you guys had like some maple syrup on your pancakes. And then it just starts, right? Then it all of a sudden is like, Dad, we want to get, we want to, and I'm like, whoa. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm about to tell you all we're going to go get milkshakes. And you're fighting me, right? And I say to them these words, what y'all need, y'all don't even know what I was going to say, do you? And then it realizes, and they realize, ooh, maybe we should be quiet and listen to what he was going to say. I'm like, y'all don't even know what I was going to say. What I was about to say is let's go get milkshakes. Oh, yeah. But now that y'all are so busy fighting me, we ain't getting no milkshakes. No, I don't do that. We do the same thing with God. We do. I do. Right? We, we, we start reading something, and then all of a sudden we either know what we wanted to say or we don't like what we think it's saying, and we're like, whoa, God, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, Y'all are so busy complaining and griping right now and rebutting me, you're not even able to listen to what I'm going to say. And what James is saying is, man, we come to decide things through the grid of God's word, but we need to be sometimes quiet and listen. We need to avoid the yeah buts. Have you ever come to God's word and had the yeah buts? Right, the verse is clear. And you're like, yeah, but... My st- you don't know my situation, God. Like, yeah, but, man, God, like, listen, I'm glad that all those rest of those people at Calvary should do that. But, God, you know I don't really have to do that. <clears throat> Not me. And we're rebutting or we're yeah, butting and we're talking, f- fighting up against it. And what we just need to do is whew, quick to hear, slow to speak. If we already have all the reasons why what the Bible said does not apply to our situation before we've even thought about it, then we're not listening. And what theologians think might have been happening in this church is, man, amazing group of people that James wrote to, but they're just, they're just kind of spinning off the cuff all sorts of ideas about things, and James is like, guys, come back to the Word. Come back to the Word. Before you make a rash decision about something, before you choose a hill to die on about something, make sure that you've run it through this grid. And there are moments when running through this grid means that you make a decision in a moment. And there are moments when running through this grid means you do die on hills. But make sure you're doing the right thing at the right time in alignment with what God says. James gives a second speed bump that we sometimes hit that makes it difficult for us to listen to God's word. And he says this as it continues, right? He's already said, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Then he says this, the next speed bump that hits, and slow to anger. As, as we're listening, as we're trying to come quick to what God's word says, what James says is, look, and I'm warning you, if you're quick to anger, you're going to not be able to do that as well. Now, this word anger <clears throat> right here, it's not like oh, I hear the Bible verse, I'm going to kick over the thing and throw the TV on the stage. It's not this knee-jerk, you know, fiery temper, blah, reaction with, with the word. Sometimes that's what the Greek word anger means. But in this text, what it means is this, this simmering. It's Christians, but it's Christians who have this simmering bitterness just kind of bubbling in their soul and their heart when they think about having to listen to what God might tell them to do. It's this simmering that when then they're like, okay, you, you're telling me, James, to go to God's word? Like, no, I don't want to go to God's word. 
this bitterness that may be within them and within us that make it more challenging to hear. And it, there's this bitterness because you know what? We don't like to be under authority. We don't. And so there's sometimes this thing hardwired in us, even as a Christian, like, no, I don't want to come to this as the authority. I don't like that idea. I feel constricted. I feel weighed down by it. I don't want to do it. And now I'm angry. And what James is saying is if that's your spirit, man, it's going to be really hard for you to hear what God's word says on that situation. When you face something in your life or you have to make a decision about a position in your life, do you have joy that says, man, I, I can go to this amazing resource to see what it tells me to do? Or is your inclination like, no, nah, I don't want to go to that resource because I don't even want to do what it tells me to do? And then there's one challenging thing. The first is we're so busy rebutting God or yeah, butting God that we're not listening. The second is this bitterness that we're, we're supposed to be under God's authority, but what? We want to be rulers of the universe. Did you know that? But you know what? We're not rulers of the universe. I know it's a surprise. Should I say it again? Maybe some of you didn't quite hear that. You are not the ruler of the universe. God is. And we shouldn't be bitter having the privilege <clears throat> to submit to that. There's one other thing that James says is going to make it challenging for you to hear God's word. The next verse says that, verse 20, says this. Therefore, again, because you need to be quick to listen to God's word, right? Be quiet, don't be bitter at it, don't be angry, and therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This is talking about like, uh, like, like ongoing sin, a pattern of sin, purposeful sin. He says, put it away. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody who's got on some earbuds or like nice Bose noise-canceling headphones? Have you ever had that moment, right? Somebody's got in their earbuds, they're jamming, they got the headphones on, you're trying to have a conversation with them. I've had that experience once again with my kids. I have this really bad parenting uh, theory that I can, my wife calls it parenting from the couch. I think it's an amazing theory. I do have this theory that I can, look, I am 49 years old. We got four kids. I've worked hard for them, right? That, man, we've trained them up in the way they should go. So I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I think I can lay here on my couch with my remote and I don't want to get up right now. So what I do is I like to parent from the couch, which means I just sit on my couch and holler instructions that I want them to go, right? So I'm sitting on my couch, I hear the dog moving around, or I know the di and I'm like, hey, somebody take the dog out. Nothing. <clears throat> so I do what you do. Or if you're a kid, I do what your parent does. You know what I do? I just say it louder. Hey! <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to watch this reality show, and I don't know what's going to happen to Deadliest Cat. Somebody needs to take the dog out. Right about now? My wife sweetly tells me, Peter, I don't know if parenting from the couch is going to be best. So I get up in a huff. I'm like, how could nobody have heard me? Like, I'm trying to, and you go to the kitchen, and they're all there like their little AirPods, like, <laughs> right? <laughs> Listen to their music. Got their playlist with their stuff queued up. And they can't hear me because I got the AirPods in. And you know what? Some of us are having trouble hearing God, not because of AirPods with noise cancellation, 
but according to James, because of sin. Because we got sin. And God is trying to speak and answer. And, 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 and we have the sin that is being an obstacle to us hearing him as fully as God wants us to hear him. And so James says, look, if you're going to be quick to listen, some of you got to take that sin out and deal with that so that you can then hear from God. All of us sin. All of us sin. <clears throat> He's talking about not the person who's saying, I'm sinning with this, I want to have victory in this. He's talking about the person saying, I'm sinning in it, and I'm going to keep going full bore in it. First service, I talked about this later, but let me say this. Look, we, ultimately it is the Holy Spirit and it is the triune God who sanctifies us. It is ultimately the work of God. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete us. We have the same power, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that you and I have to have strength in our life to overcome sin, right? The, the spirit and the triune God is the, the catalyst for us overcoming sin. But man, we got to get in the boat. <laughs> we we got to get in the boat. We got to depend upon his power and work towards, through dependence on his power, what he's trying to get us to do in terms of holiness. And for some of us, we're so stuck in our sin that God may be trying to speak and we can't hear. And James is like, Take out the AirPods and listen to what your father is saying. So we listen to God's word. We're quick to hear it. <clears throat> we have that. We, we come to it. He's told us a few things that hinder us from being able to do it, right? And, and, and then he tells us this posture, this attitude that we're supposed to have. And he says this, when you come to God's word, as you're trying to deal with the things that hinder you, you receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to serve you. Here's the posture that we have. We have humility. We have humility. Not arrogance. Not hubris. Humility. That we don't have all the answers. That we could be wrong. Man, those are two powerful things you've just heard today. You're not rule of the universe and you could be wrong. If you've never heard that before, Happy to help inform us, right? <clears throat> if you're married, you've heard it before. Okay, so, man, humility. And then the perspective that we come towards God's word is that it is able to save our souls. The, the perspective we come is, man, the gospel can save us from our sins in terms of salvation. But this word also has the ability to help us grow and to sanctify us and to save us from challenges we don't need to go through. This has power. And when we come to try to figure out what to do, we come humbly before it and we come to it with the perspective that this has power. So, We've heard God's word, right? We've tried to deal with the obstacles. We, we have this perspective of meekness and humility. Is that it? Right? Is, is that all James tells us to do? Hey, you guys just listen, and then you're done. Right? Check. You're, you're done. You don't need to worry about anything else. He does not say that. He keeps writing. And then this is, man, we, we've heard this concept, but here's what he says. In verse 22, he tells us what to do after we've heard. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Hearers refers to what you guys are right now as you sit here. You are passively and maybe act, but, 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 but you're hearing stuff, but you're, like, you're an audience, right? It refers to like in a play or in a concert. People who are sitting there, they're not performing. It's a passive kind of listening. And what James is saying is don't, don't, don't just be a hearer, right? It's like auditing a class. Have you ever audited a class? You get all the information, but you don't have to do any homework. It's kind of a good gig. I wish I could have audited all of the schools I went to. Are we auditing our walk with Jesus? Where we get a lot of information, but then we're not doing anything. And what James is saying is, don't audit. Christian life was never meant to be an audit where you just receive a lot of content that you then don't do anything with. And he gives this warning. And here's the warning that you say, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He's saying, for those of you Jewish Christians in this letter, people here today who are just hearing it but not doing it, he said, man, there's just a warning to you. Be careful that you're not caught in deception. Not, not that you're deceiving yourselves about your salvation, but that maybe you're deceiving yourselves about how spiritually mature you are. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> Bible memorization is a two-edged sword. Bible memorization, it's important for us to do, and I do challenge you if you're a Christian to memorize the Bible, parts of it. There will be moments when I'm going through a crisis or have a conflict, just, just words of God that I've memorized pop into my mind, right, that I've just put to memory, and they're helpful in that, right? That is a positive thing. But, but, but sometimes Bible memorization, sword drills, okay, who here knows what a sword drill is? Okay, that's better tracking generationally, right? Last sermon, like, some young adult knew what a sword drill was. Sword drill is, right, you're, you're, you're trying to get to the Bible verse the quickest. Sometimes when you're four years old, and if you memorize the Bible verse and you get a star, what, 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 what becomes taught is, man, just memorization, knowing it, that's all you got to do. Just know it, just know it, just know it, just know it, that's all you got to do. We do need to know it, but we don't know it just for the purposes of knowing it. We know it so then we do it. It's as cliche as it comes, and you've heard it, but it's true. The Christian walk, God's word, it's never just about information. It's ultimately about transformation. And we need the information to help transform us, but man, it's just not to know more. And sometimes I think there's a tendency in some Christians who are like, well, we, we, Peter, we could get to the, we know the verse quicker than you do. I'm going to confess, there's sometimes people call me on the phone and they're like, where does the Bible say this? You know what I do? Google. <clears throat> there's some of you who you don't have to do that. You know it. But then sometimes some of those people become arrogant about it. And they're like, I know so much, I'm done. The point is never knowing a lot. The point is so that the word transforms what we then do with what we know. And James uses this this illustration where he says this, right? For the, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. I heard someone talking about this passage and they use a great illustration that I'm stealing. And many times what we do is we come to the Bible like a telescope. 
You know what a telescope is? A telescope is something you use to put to your eye to look at something else outside of you, right? So and many times what we do is we use the Bible like a telescope, and we're like, ooh, I know what the Bible says about this. Let me look around. Ooh, that person is not doing what the Bible says. <clears throat> I've been to parenting seminars, and I have parenting principles from the Bible. Mm, oh, that person is not parenting. We use this to look at other people to see if other people are matching up to it. That was not ultimately what this book is given for. Are we supposed to try to judge false prophets? Yes, but largely, this book is not a telescope. It's a mirror. You know what a mirror does? It's something we hold up to ourselves. That we say like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to look like. And we look at it to see how well we match with what we're supposed to be. This is not a book for you to use as a weapon to telescopically look at other people. This is a book for you and I to hold up to our face and say, how well does this match up with this like a mirror? Is there an area in your life where you know what the book says, <clears throat> but you're not doing it? Are you arrogant as a Christian? Because you know inside, out, back and forth, upside down in 42 languages what the book says. But you still speak to your family in such an unkind way. You scream at people at restaurants because they forgot to pull the pickles off your sandwich. I'm not kidding. <clears throat> How do we need to look at this book as a mirror? I'll ask the worship team to come up here now. And you know, we said throughout the book of James, what James is really doing is there's all these allusions to the Sermon on the Mount because about 40 years prior to this was written, Jesus, James' brother, stood on a hill with a bunch of people listening, and he gave them instructions. And what James is doing throughout 18 or 22 times, he keeps coming back to what Jesus says, coming back to those instructions and saying, look, y'all remember what my brother told you. And James says, right, don't just listen, but be doers. And maybe what he's trying to do is say, hey, remember 40 years ago, my brother said that. Here's what Jesus says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He, the one who hears my words and does them, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the storm broke against that house and they could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. We ultimately want to obey God's word because that is a way that we show our love to Jesus and we bring glory to Jesus. But what also Jesus is saying is in addition to that, you should obey my word because it's going to give you a foundation to stand and it will be best for you. God adores you. He adores you. He knows exactly how you're wired, and he knows absolutely what is best for you in your life. Best for you in your life is a relationship with him where you're striving for his glory, and best for you in your life is to do 
this, will that always make it the easiest? It won't. If you're looking for an easy life, then you're probably in the wrong place. If you're looking for a life that's meaningful because you have a relationship with the person who made you and gives you hope of being ultimately satisfied in him one day, then you don't need to go anywhere else. And what God says is, I know what is best for you because I'm your dad and because I love you, and so will you just do it? I've done this pastor gig in three different churches now. And I can just think back about moments when people came and they were facing decision or they were trying to process things and, and we're like, well, what does the book say? And we talk about it and they're like, okay, great, thanks, man. And I'm like, okay, so you got, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> okay. Then a year later, two years later, they come back and they say, I should have done what God told me to do. And in that moment, I, I'm not, I told you so, in that moment, I'm broken for them because I see that there's just more pain. And I'm like, yeah. Are you here this morning running from something God wants you to do? Are you here this morning running from your father who loves you because you're trying to be ruler of the universe and ruler of your own life? We're going to sing a song, Run to the Father, and it's a great opportunity that if that's where part of your story is. We're all there at some point in our life. And the question is not whether we get there, because every single one of us is going to be in a moment in our life when we are running from God in some way. The question is not whether we're going to be there. The question is what do we do when we're there? And you know what we do when we're there? We run back to the Father. We don't keep running from, we run to and this morning as we sing this closing song, I hope it's more than just a melody that some of us know. For many of us, I hope it is a prayer of meekness and humility and that we're going to come to our Father and we're going to run to him in a commitment that in that area in which we know what he wants, we will do what he has put before us to do by depending upon the Spirit. Perhaps God has you here today because he knows you're running. And what he's brought you here today is to say, look, today's the day that you run back to me. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing this as a prayer, as a meaning. Father, thank you for your incredible kindness in revealing truth to us. Thank you for creation that reveals truth, and thank you for Jesus who reveals truth and thank you for your word that you provide to us information about how to be restored to you and then what we do and how we live as restored people. Thank you for the spirit that the pressure is not all on us to become what you want us to be but you've given us a, a, the spirit of you to work in us, to empower us, to propel us to what you want us to be. And thank you that you're gracious and kind with your arms always open wide and saying in those moments when we're not who you want us to be, we can always run back to you. And Father, today, if there's folks who are running in the wrong direction, will your spirit grab hold of them and break them and soften them and douse them with an understanding of your love so that they can joyfully become runners back to you where all ultimate satisfaction and meaning is found. Amen.